welcome to Fueling the Transition, the podcast series from A3 Management Consulting. My name is Matt Brown. I'm Vice President in the Management Consulting Division at AFRI. I've been working on the energy transition for nearly 30 years. In this series, we talk to people who are working really at the cutting edge of the energy transition, and we deal with the themes of decarbonisation, decentralisation, and digitalisation. I'm very pleased today to say that we have with us Eva Blitz, who is the Senior Advisor on Environmental Issues to the Swedish Steel Association. Hi, Eva. Hello. Nice to meet you. Very good to meet you. And with me again, I have my colleague, John Williams, who's the Head of our Expertise Cluster on Hydrogen. Hello, Matt. Hi, Eva. Nice to meet you. Also with us is my colleague, Bettina Wittenhaven, who is the lead on sustainability for the UK within A3 Management Consulting. Hi, Bettina. Hi, nice to be here today. And thank you, Eva, for joining us. Excellent. So let's jump straight in, Eva, put you on the spot and just ask really about your role a little bit in the Swedish Steel Association and your motivation within that role, your motivation in, in your work. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Now, I, I will explain a little bit about, uh, maybe we start there. Uh, I, I work for the Swedish Steel Industry Association. The name is Jan Kontoret, uh, in Iron Office, you can say. And it's, it's a very old organization. It's from 1747 all our steel companies working here and I have been and am working on uh, making our companies to get uh, money for research and, and try to really investigate what is possible to research for our steel companies. It could be steel related, it could be sustainable related or, or anything about that. We don't do research ourselves, but we really try to, f- to find the fundings for our company. So that's one part that I do a bit. And then the other part, which is much more at the moment, is to work on on trying to make the environmental legislation as good as possible. I mean, what the key goal for us here is to to make our, our companies uh, really competitive in, in, in a really tough world to, to, to succeed, to win the, the, the affairs and really make it happen. So this is, every time I look upon an environmental legislation, it is what is expensive here, what will cost much, what do we need to change? And is it even if you compare to rest of the world when you have EU legislation? So this is what I'm doing. And the motivation, right? I always try to make legislation or research or whatever it is a bit better. I always try to improve things. This is one of my my key takes. But on the on the contrary, I also very much make it more complicated because I, I never look upon one question from one angle. I always try to enlighten something from different angles. And and that makes things complicated in in the beginning to see the broader picture. But in in the end of the day, you need really to be complicated to see all the different aspects and understand that legislations are connected to each other. So if you do one legislation without thinking about others, well, it will not be very good in the end. So this is my, my two things, more complicated, but also better. Very good. Very good. And it sounds like it is quite a complicated situation. Maybe we can start at the beginning a little bit and just my pronunciation here is probably going to let me down. Perhaps you can help with the Swedish Steel Industry Association in Swedish. Jörn Kontoret. Is that what you said earlier or uh, how would you say it? 
I say järnkontoret, but iron office makes sense as well if you translate it. But järnkontoret in Swedish, yes. Ah, very good. Now, how, how many members uh, do you have at the moment? So there is not really <clears throat> members because, uh, okay, so this now we have to go back to 1747. But what, what we are is at that time we have so many different small steel plants in in, in, in middle of Sweden and north of Sweden. In, in every small town, there was sort of a small uh, blast furnace, sort of. But so, so they decided 1747. I promise I will not stick to the history uh, in, in detail, but I just need to go back. So they decided to, to work together and they decided to, to bring in one, not a krona, which we have now, but a dollar. That's what they were paying a, a sum together to, to get an office, an office that was working with uh, buying raw material, uh, finding raw material doing some research, checking other companies in other um, countries, uh, and then also to sell the steel that we are doing together. So, so this was, uh, this was really, so, so what we have is owners of us. So it's, it's, quite unique. We don't have anything else like that in, in Sweden. So it's very different from anything. And then we have also uh, some companies that is not uh, steel makers that is sort of, I don't even know what we call them in English, but they are interested, associated partners or something. So they, they can take part of, of our work, but they are not really uh, owners. Or So so we it, it's very few, it's, it's 15 to 20, not very many. So it's quite easy to work. And, and the good part with having uh, work to work with steel industry is that all our companies are completely different, right? They're doing steel, but they are doing highly niched steel so they are not really competing with each other that's why it's very easy and that's very good for me that we can really work together with our companies so you're saying steel isn't just steel i thought steel was just steel i'm not really a steel person yeah right this is a really good question when you say steel i don't know what you think about but i mean there is steel of course in in your household you have the the sink probably that is made of stainless steel and you have steel everywhere but here in sweden we are doing more than 3000 different types of steel and it's 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 not only the grade i mean you can have high alloy, low, low alloy, you can have carbon steel. So that's one thing, but you have also different shapes of them. So there are slabs, tubes, coils, plates, bars. I mean, I can continue this. So all type of steels is used for different things. And, and we are really here then um, niched in our, our, so we are world leading companies in very many different areas, but we're, the amount of steel that Sweden together is doing is five million ton five million ton that that's, sounds much but it's not really when you compare it to the total amount of steel that is made every year it's 1.8 billion ton so swedish steel industries supply is less than one percent it's like 0.3 percent or something like that so it's very very small but we are leading in those niches that we are where we are excellent okay and then what's the future for steel and i suppose with regard to our thinking here on uh, on decarbonization especially what's changing for the steel industry i suppose yeah okay i think this i, I want to start in, in one angle i mean first of all how much is 1.8 billion tons of steel every year I mean, I, I have tried to figure out how much it is, but if you if you think about it, you 
if we should not have steel, okay, if steel is not in the future, then you need to find 1.8 billion tons of something else uh, to, to, to change from steel to, to wood. If, and if we say wood, it's not possible, but if you just have it as a thinking, you, you, I mean, there will be one or two years and then we will not have any forests anymore. So it's a really big amount of materials that has to be produced uh, in one way or another. And, and, and how much steel are we using in a society? Well, it depends if you are a well-developed society. I mean, here in Sweden or probably in UK as well, we are using every person per capita 400 kilo a year. If you go to India, it's less than 100 kilo per person per year. And I guess uh, you don't buy very much steel. <laughs> As a, as a person, maybe some stainless forks and knives, but the main part of it is, of course, for infrastructure. So, okay, so we need this material to be used in, in bridges, for railways, for windmills, for housing, for all the big trucks that you see, all the cars. Everywhere you have this uh, steel is used for different uh, applications. And one can argue saying, well, we can change that to something else. Okay, let's think about it. Wood is very difficult because all of it, we will get a very quick finished of, of forests. <laughs> if and someone say maybe graphene is very good to use, and then I, I ask back, how much does graphene cost per kilo? And then, then people don't know, of course. And then I say, do you know how much steel costs per 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 kilo? And and it's about one euro. It depends on the quality, of course. High quality costs more, low quality costs less. So it's a, a very cheap material compared to very many other materials. But the best part of steel that we will start talking about is that it's recyclable. So you you, you do steel, you use it, and, and when you scrap it or discard it, you take it back, back to the electric arc furnace, remelt it, and you have a new type of steel that is even more advanced. So this is a really good, uh, we are really circular economy and we have been a circular economy for since the, since we started in the, in the 1800th century. So we take back steel, remelt it, do it in, in new products. Well, what about the, the, the carbon emissions from the, from the process of steel manufacturing? I guess, you know, there, there's the recycling part, mm-hmm. but in, in the part that isn't recycling. So why, why, is steel, why is steel production an issue? Where are the emissions coming from? And yeah, how big are they? Okay, so if I continue then, just taking this part of, because it's, it's two ways, basically it's two ways, there is more, but we start with two ways of doing steel. So we have this recycle scrap, so then you use an uh, electric arc furnace, an electric arc furnace is uh, basically not very much a CO2 emissions, it's quite little, you need uh, a little bit in the electro, uh, electrodes and you need, uh, of course, fuel for the, for, for the furnace, but it's not very big. CO2 emissions there. So one can argue the best available technique is only to use. Why not only just to to, to go into to this, this route and just uh, recycle scrap? The reason why it's not possible to use only secondary raw material is that we don't have enough secondary raw material. There isn't enough steel <laughs> to produce one 0.8 billion ton uh, steel a year. So we need also to use the primary route. And the primary route is different and there is the CO2 the big amount of CO2 emissions and the primary route is is you use iron ore 
So you put iron ore uh, in in the blast furnace. It's called okay, maybe too technical, but it's good to know what I'm talking about. You put iron ore there, and the iron ore has oxygen in it. And you, if you have oxygen in iron or in steel, it gets get very fragile. Fragile. So you need to take out oxygen. And what what is the best way to take out oxygen? Uh, so far, it has been, as you remember, we were from 1747. We use coal, so we take putting coal in, in the furnace, and we get CO2. Uh, that's why we have CO2 emissions. So it's not really that we just pollute it and, and not think about it. It's the chemical process to take out the oxygen from the iron ore. So, so there are the biggest part of, of, of steel industries, uh, CO2 emissions. And of course, they have as well uh, fuels and transportation and everything around uh, around the plant. But the, the, the key thing is here to see how can you change the primary route if we want to get rid of the CO2 emissions? It's not enough just to recycle scrap. It's good, but it's not enough to fulfill the demand of steel. And also, this is the amount of steel that we need today. If everyone is coming out of poverty, which we have said in the, in the agenda 2030, then we need even more steel. So, so we really need to find a way to change this primary route. And, and there is different options. Uh, I'm sure you have heard about that you can you can catch the, the uh, CO2, uh, the CCS or CCU, uh, or you can try to change the coal for something else. Eva, can I jump in here? I was wondering, since you've been with your own contract for quite some time now, and you've seen this industry evolve over that time, would you say that the mindset has changed in the industry is it you know still between recycling and and virgin material production of steel how has has it changed in a over the last decade yeah that's a good question i i remember i started here 2008 um so uh, and then i was working I'm, i was coming from the ministry of industry actually really trying to work to to connect environment with industry policy questions. Quite interesting area. At that time, it didn't exist. And then I was working uh, quite a lot with with waste issues and also with Jankontor at that, that time. So they actually just hired me for a year doing uh, waste legislation here. So I, I went here. I was really happy about coming to, because recycling is really big and I was really proud of being in this industry that is so environmental friendly. All right, we have CO2 emissions, but I understood also where they come from. And then I, I arrived here and, and, and my minister who at that time told me, please, Eva, we know exactly what, what steel industry says. They say we cannot do it. We will move out or close down if you don't change this legislation and it's not possible. So, so this was sort of a take that I, I have with me to talk to the CEOs here at Jankontoret, but also in the steel industry, saying that the image of steel industry is not very good out there. They think we are old fashioned, men dominated, and we don't, we don't have any, anything to say. So that was one part. And, and also, uh, as a company, if you say that you will move out, close down, it's very difficult to actually to attract new people to your plants and also to get people to educate for metallurgists that we really need for, for our, our company. So when I came here, it was sort of a frustration that people doesn't understand how good steel is, doesn't understand how good it is to be able to recycle every piece of steel that we do, we can recycle. So... At that time, it was sort of 
trying to find out what to do to be able to tell the story. And, uh, and so we started 2011 with uh, an idea of creating a vision, a vision for a very long time until 2050 or 2030, we were talking, but 2050 is really necessary for this type of heavily uh, equipped industry. It takes quite a long time to transform. So we did actually really detailed work with the CEOs, with the society, with students, with political people, trying to figure out, is this a way forward that we can use? And, and in the end of the day, two years later, we launched this vision saying, it's a very short one, it's a vision for 2050 saying, steel shapes a better future. And, 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 and that doesn't say very much really, but it means like steel is a material for the future. Again, replying to the first question I got. And second, we want to stay in Sweden. We want to develop in Sweden. We want to improve. We want to be uh, as, as good as we can. And then it came with three commitments. And it was we lead the technology development, which is what we have done, but we need really to push for that. We really want to attract the most creative people to our sector. I mean, it's about also educating and also people want, we want people to work for us. And then we have the final uh, one that was really the most challenging one, I think. It was from the beginning, uh, environmental uh, commitment uh, saying we, uh, saying we should, our processes are so efficient that nothing but societal benefit products is leaving our plants. And at that time, we didn't know really what uh, society value was or society benefit was. And we really need to find that out. And and when we started to dig into that, I must say it was changed a lot, the understanding of of how we can positioning ourselves in the society. Did you have demands for the government, for society as well, when you created this vision? No, th this was the good news, actually, because it was coming from ourselves. And I think that was one of the secrets. It was not that, oh, tomorrow we will have this legislation or tomorrow that will happen or we will not be able to use this and that. It was more coming from within that we are tiring of not being understood. And we're also tiring of, of, of being the ones maybe saying no too much. What we are doing now is saying what we want and what we need and what we can achieve if people is helping us. So that was a mindset changing really, but coming from within. Was there resistance to this new change, this transformation? you were proposing? From the beginning, no, no, the CEOs was the, the leading group for us. So they really wanted it. But from, to be honest, from the very first beginning, every company said sort of, why should we have a common uh, vision for all of us? All of us have visions in our different um, companies, but this was really good to gather together uh, a vision that is, is, is for all of us. And, and also when we started to elaborate this what does society value means? Uh, that was today and to, until 2050. I think it was here the magic was starting because we were starting to dig into that together with Stockholm Environment Institute, which is a research institute here in Sweden, also being in UK for, and, and worldwide nowadays. And, and we started to work together. They have never worked with such a company that is the Swedish largest emitter. So they were a little bit scared about that. And and my research manager and CEOs was a little bit, should we really work with this 
Environmental Institute, what, what if, what will happen? So it was quite brave from both sides. And, and the only word we were, talked about and, and really digged into detail was this society value world, word. And, and what does it mean today, tomorrow? in Sweden for the world. What is it about the products, the processes? And, and we did during one and a half year together, 10 points strategy of what is really needed to be done. And we did base it in actually in, in scenario work. So we did put up four different scenarios together with Stockholm Environment Institute and, and then work them through and find out what is the 10 most robust things that we should concentrate today until 2050. And it's still really valid. This, so I can take it out and, and read about it. And it's really, it's really helpful to have for the whole sector. Eva, looking back at that decision now, what would you say was the biggest change that came out of that? It's, it's so many things that has happened because just the same year we launched this 10 heading strategy. It was one of the points saying we need to find a way of doing primary steel without emitting uh, CO2. And at that time, uh, also uh, the company, we have, there is one company in two different installations in Sweden that is doing the primary route. Rest of them are doing the secondary. So they decided to start to work on new processes to, to reduce to carbon. And they, they decided to do it together with uh, Vattenfall, which is an energy company. And Elko AB, which is a mining company. So with that, you have steel, mining and energy together. And they launched this idea of, of, of reducing um, the iron ore, not with oxygen, to take out oxygen, not with coal, but with hydrogen. So this was, of course, one of the very much uh, amazing results. Not only, of course, it might have happened anyway, but it was sort of really putting the light on possibilities. And one of the reasons was that <laughs> the Minister of en Environment uh, phoned me up and say, oh, congratulations, Eva, you have a vision that's saying you should not have any CO2. And I said, where did it say in the vision or the commitments? And then she said, well, CO2 is not society value. Uh, so it's not, so you have to take it away. So it was sort of, also, oh, yeah, you're right. So, so, so did the the breakthrough of using hydrogen as the reduction agent was that developed in the in the project? I think it's the hybrid project. Yes, um, talking yes. about it, well, was it the hybrid project that that discovered this breakthrough that you could use hydrogen? No, it has been known for us for, for I don't know. I'm not a researcher on hydrogen and techniques of that, but it has been known for a very long time that that hydrogen is possible to use, and it's also being used a little bit uh, in the blast furnace, not to to change the coal, but to use in, in as a fuel. So we have known that. But the problem has been that it, here, at least in Sweden, I don't know in the rest of the world, we should use the one of the goals is that you should use less energy. <laughs> you should be very energy in, uh, efficient. And, and that's, of course, good because you should not waste energy if you as such. But, but there was sort of don't use more energy, don't use more. And, and, and to say, if you want to change this route, it will change from like five terawatts of, of energy used for the, the normal route to 15 to 20 terawatts. And that, that is huge amount, more energy. And it was not really political possible to say 
that, yeah, we can do it, but we need this much energy <laughs> and it has to be fossil free. And how do we, so there was sort of also this discussion about the, 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 the strategy, the fossil free strategy for all sectors. We needed to really, to, to tell we need some, we need help from, from society to create this fossil free energy. So I think that was one of the reasons why it took, uh, took such a long time that we didn't even know it w- if it was possible to launch until then, uh, until now. Would you say, Eva, that this had larger repercussions globally, the uh, setting up of the hybrid plant? Yeah, 2016, I mean, it was, they started and then they got some research money and then it was still on desk research sort of. And then they decided to to build, as probably everyone knows, the the pilot plant and and they have done the pilot plant, have proven it works uh, in the pilot. Now they are scaling up to demonstration plants and then full scale very quick. So obvious it does work. In the beginning, I must say, there was a lot of, um, it still is, of course, there is always, when you want to really be the front runners, the first movers, there is always skeptical people saying it's not possible, it costs too much, uh, we don't have fossil free energy enough, uh, is it really worthwhile doing this? It's, isn't it better just to catch this, uh, the, the CO2 and make chemicals of it? And everyone, every company, of course, have to choose for themselves. If you, if you bought a blast furnace, if you start a brand new blast furnace 10 years ago, then of course it's not really possible to close it down and change technology because a blast furnace works for 40 to 50 years, depending on the maintenance. So you need to have some return on the investment and do what is best for that plant. In in Sweden, it was sort of it doesn't matter that the blast furnace are best in the world already as they are, they decided to be the first one. And I think this is also, again, coming from within. It was a really big drive. And now we have followers. Uh, uh, many many are saying they will do the same or try to do. There is a pilot plant, small one in Germany. There is another one, Austria. So I think it's, 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 it's changing. Uh, and of course, it's always good to be the first. But again, it's not good to be the only one. If SSA based only one selling this steel, it might be difficult to just have one supplier of a certain type of steel. So so we are hoping for followers. And, and can all the different types of steel that you mentioned at the start, can they all be produced through this route? Yeah, no, not all of them, because that's, that's yeah, I don't know. I cannot, uh, uh, because I, I have no control over 3,500 types of steel. Of course, you cannot do stainless steel in, the, in this way, but then you are using the secondary uh, route. So it, it's okay. But all the types of SSAB steel that they are doing, they will be able to do in, in a fossil-free uh, steel way. So they will have this in, in, in their production list of, of um quite soon or already have actually there has been some buying it for for already even though it's just small amounts we, we get asked quite a lot by um companies that are interested in de- developing projects or invested in projects you know who are the customers who's going to pay the green premium mm. um you know either for the power or for uh, ammonia or for hydrogen etc mm. so in, in terms of of steel if we can call it green steel or fossil free steel mm. um you know it is the market that are people going to be willing to pay a higher cost for the the steel that's produced. Okay, you can you can 
put that question in a, a question back. What will be the price if we don't transform? I mean, if you continue like you're doing, what will the price be for the society? So I think you have to, again, I'm making it more complicated maybe, but you have to think about, I mean, there is a lot of companies that really want to be the first one who has a fossil-free car or first one who has a fossil-free lorry or a a dumper or or anything like that. And, and, And I think, again, if demand is um increasing the price will go down but again there is so many things that is not in our hand that's why we really have been working on reaching out and explain for the government for the political people in sweden but also in europe you need to help we can do this we can take investments we can do this but we need help with infrastructure for energy we need to find a way to transform to make fossil free energy at least here in sweden that's that's for sure uh, and 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 then of course this is big companies we need to have efficient permit processes both for our companies as such when they want to apply for a new permit for doing uh, this reduction and, and and also building new new furnaces but also for energy when you, you are doing um, energy uh, big systems of energy you need also permit at least in sweden i don't know for rest of the world but here you need permit for for everything and it's quite complicated to get the permit in here in sweden and it takes a long time and you start with applying in the court we start the permit processes in court we're not we're not finishing it there we're starting it there and it, it's quite complex so there's a lot of things that 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 we need and also continuously we need support with research money because it's not fully understood how it works in full scale it's still just a a pilot right so so there is much to do for both us and and for the society sorry i'm not going to labor the point on the cost but i remember someone telling me and i don't know whether this is true or not that if you use green steel in a car the cost of the car is only going to go up by i don't know two or three hundred euro does that sound like the right ballpark or is you know is that a wild guess again <laughs> i don't know the green steel that is uh, used there is different steel in a car <laughs> sorry <laughs> so it depending on on what are you changing will the full uh, full uh, all of the steel in the car will be fossil free i don't know what what the cost will be i, I must i i cannot say uh, if you just choose to change some of the of it how much will it be it depends of course so i i cannot say i think again that the, uh, we if the society and our citizen have decided that we should have a fossil free economy i think we have to pay it in one way or another so the price will go up how much i don't know I, I cannot be more detailed because i don't know we don't know that we don't know how much will the steel cost it depends on the energy price what will the energy price be i have no idea what will the price of iron ore be that's on the market worldwide market i mean so it's quite difficult to say how much will the price go up that's why i'm hesitant to say a number i suppose the idea being it's probably not a big component of the overall car cost mm-hmm. the, the steel cost if it's a euro a yeah. on average for steel, then probably what you're paying for in your car is not really the steel. Your suggestion is that you could wear, you could afford the extra bit of steel for fossil, yeah. you know, fossil fuel steel mm-hmm. cost 
wouldn't really impact the overall yeah, cost exactly. of the car very yeah. much. Yeah. So I wonder about the other fossil fuel things you'd need to include in your car and whether they Yeah, this is another thing, the definitions. That's that's the scary part and a difficult part. Yeah, I mean some call it green steel, other call it fossil free. And then we have all the colors on the on the hydrogen. I don't know if you have seen mm-hmm. it. It's so many mm-hmm. colors that I don't even know if, if I, I can name them all. But so it's it's sort of and, and, and for SSAB, the Swedish company, uh, talking about fossil-free steel, and it really what they do mean there is the, the, that the first part to get out the crude iron is fossil-free. And then, of course, again, it depends how you... I mean, you have to have some coal in the, uh, in the electrodes, uh, but that will not be very much. But that's the second step. But the first step will be completely fossil-free. And then you need to to add on a little bit of coal because you need a coal for, for alloy, but that will stay in the steel. <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's very difficult to, and there is also standards that is discussing what is fossil free. And then why only fossil free? Should it be, is it okay to have primary resources if it's fossil free or should it be secondary raw material as a part? So there is, again, I make this more complicated, but it's, it's, needed to have more than one single item to look upon when you talk about these issues. The byproducts of making steel, do they change if you change the process to be fossil free? Yeah, for, for I mean, for the, there is, I, we just talked about the first step, right, when we are doing steel. So it's the first step, the, the first furnace. So basically what, what is changing is, of course, that we will not have the byproduct of, of, of um, uh, CO2. Uh, because we will have the byproduct of water instead for the first step. So, so we will have uh, crude iron and, and water coming out when you reduce the iron ore. And then next step is actually to take this uh, iron sponge. It's called iron sponge when you reduced it like this. And you take the iron sponge and put that in an electric arc furnace. And that's the same electric arc furnace as as the one that is already having an electric arc furnace. Not, not the same. Of course, they have to buy a new one but <laughs> for their own company. But And that's also good news because then you can combine scrap with with this iron, this fossil-free uh, virgin material. So so it's... And then, of course, in that step, when you are in the electric arc furnace, the same it will be the same residues coming out from the process, the same emissions that we have already. So, so that will not change this basically the first part and of course doing this fossil free route to do it you have mainly a, a, a cock oven plant that is doing the cock and then um, of course that could be closed down so you will not have the byproducts from from this there is quite a lot of chemicals that we are doing from the byproducts from the cock oven plants coming and also what is not coming is the the energy that is uh, uh, we are producing quite a lot of energy from the blast furnace. So there's a lot of the society around the blast furnace is really having the, the cock oven gas and the, and the blast furnace gas to be used in, in, in a large combustion plant uh, to, to give the, the, the society heat for the, for the houses. And that will not be there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's another part. How can we do that when we are so there again? I'm not making it 
easier, I realize I'm making it. It was really true when I started to make it complicated, but it, so it's a sort of quite a big, uh, big um, challenge to solve all these issues. What will happen then? What, where will the heat come from if, if not from the blast furnace? But that should not really be an argument of continuing the blast furnace route, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I remember rightly, Ava, you were in a, in a more of a government role previously. What was your mo- what was the sort of motivation for moving from government to industry? Well, okay, I have been yeah, that's an interesting question. I I was in the government uh, in the, um, I changed a little bit from different ministries, uh, Ministry of Industry, Ministry of Environment, Foreign Affairs a little bit, Ministry of Finance. So again, trying to to connect things to each other um and I was really working quite a lot with uh, energy intensive industry. So I, I knew quite a lot about it. Um, I, after 14 years in the government, I thought when the question come, do you want to work with us? I thought that would be really interesting to go to the other side <laughs> to see how it works uh, on, on the other side. And then I could bring all my knowledge from how is government working, how is negotiation done in, in in Brussels, how is parliament working? Everything of that I can bring to, to the industry. And also I can translate being industry back to the government saying, okay, this is how it works. So I have been sort of a translator, I think, between those uh, trying to explain that you cannot say as a company, say you don't understand how it is to run a company because as a CEO of a company, you might not know how it is to be Uh, elected and re-elected as a political person. So you really need to understand each other's rules and respect them. So, But again, my driving force was to, to, to go here and see if it's possible to do something more than trying to draft the legislation in the government uh, about putting in environmental questions into industry policy. <laughs> Sorry, it was a bit long, but that was really one of my ideas. What would you say to other companies and other industries that want to kick off the transformation process like you have in Sweden in the steel industry what are what what would be some sort of helpful tips and hints you would give to to companies in energy intensive industries i think from, from i mean again where i started it it come it, it did come from within if you don't have the desire or the, the the will or the wish maybe it's better word to 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 change then it's it's i mean it has to be inside driven to really make the transformation happen i think because then you are creative then you find solutions so if you are committed to do changes i think it's it's The best way you can say, okay, we need to find a way to explain what we want to achieve and what we need to achieve that. Because this is really what we have done. We have we do that quite often now. We say, yes, 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 we can do that. But not if you are not doing this, this and that. So it comes with a not a requirement, but it comes with a wish. And also if you if you And it, it takes quite a long time to understand. We have to analyze it within the sector. Where are the key things that we cannot solve ourselves? Where do we need to work with stakeholders? Sometimes it's not the government. Sometimes it could be other other people that is sort of saying the same thing as we are, <laughs> but in a different way. Uh, so the main thing is that if you decide to that you really want to do, you really need to find out mapping up what can I do, what do I 
what can I do myself and wh- where do I need help and what can other people do? Because there is so many value chains in, in, in these big companies that you need to think about and you have, do not have control over them. So how to do? And I, like SSAB did, they started to work with the energy company and the mining company and the steel company together to to find out how to do fossil-free energy, how to do uh, hydrogen, how to which type of techniques should be used, and all these type of things was really helpful to do in a company, a joint company that they did start this hybrid. And does it take courage, or is it something that seems obvious when you are in the midst of the transformation process? It needs a lot of courage. I'm so proud of my companies that was saying this, and I mean they are leading the development in the world. It's not only SSAB that is doing it. it we have the same thing. I, I must mention that if, if we have time, I mean, we have just talking about the first step in, in steel. I, I, I have gone from from the first step to the second step to the secondary thing. And then after that, before you can sell the steel, you have to process it. So you have uh, like ferrous metals processing uh, part as well. And there you need uh, one of the big secrets uh, Okay, we are recording, but it's not that big secret. But <laughs> is uh, this high quality, high efficiently thin, uh, strong Swedish steel is that we are cooling, heating, cooling, heating, and cooling again. And then we get uh, qualities of the steel uh, that is uh, exceptional. But the part where you where you cool, of course, you need water. The part where you heat, you can use different type of fuels. And, and what has happening now, because you asked before, what has happened, what is the result of, of this vision about these statements, the commitments, and all of our companies have started to work on this. So this is the amazing thing. And, and for the furnace where you process the steel, obviously we can change, research have shown, we can change quite a lot of fuels to hydrogen. So also the companies that is not a blast furnace route and change to direct re- reduction of, of ion can also use hydrogen. So hydrogen will be used as a fuel in our furnaces. And and these companies will also be hydrogen producers. So they have applied for permits to be hydrogen producers and also to be used as a fuel. So we will have a lot of companies that will be producing hydrogen on in-house as a company. So we will do steel and hydrogen. <laughs> so it's not only SSAB and hybrid, but it will be also for not all, maybe, but some of them can will do this uh, on their own, not buying hydrogen, but producing it by themselves in as a part of the, of the of the value chain. So that's quite interesting as well, the development and 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 there is other roads you can use as well using biomass and uh, well, there's a lot of things you can say about hydrogen production. That's also bigger than just steel, of course. In in terms of the you know the the hydrogen production, the plans that that Sweden has. Mm. for steel production because there's the hybrid project you mentioned um there's also the the h2 green steel uh i know in in parts of northern sweden you know there are other plans for hydrogen production it can take an awful lot of renewables mm. to provide the power for the electrolyzers then do, do you see that as being an issue or is the renewable resource so great it, it's not going to be too much of an issue in that part of Sweden? That's a really good question. Again, you can sit and calculate and think uh, you can calculate it. it. It's not 
so easy. But just to, to as you mentioned it, the H2 Green Steel, the, the size of that company or the plant size, I must say they haven't started anything yet, but but being uh, but starting for apply, <laughs> apply for a permit. So that's what we do in Sweden. We apply for a permit. But they, they have started uh, and they they have this vision of, of producing themselves five million tons steel a year themselves. All right. That is the sum of all our companies that we have today in Sweden doing 5 million tons steel together in a good year. It's not that much all, all the years. So that's that's one part. It's, it's huge. It's big. Uh, so that's that. And that will double the, the demand sort of or even do it more because we're also changing the route for the companies that we have. And then we have all the other companies that is also wanting to, to, to transform to electricity. Will it be a, a deficit or not? Uh, well, I wish I can say. The problem is that the we need we need electricity twenty four hours, three hundred sixty five days. Uh, it's not very easy to. Okay, you can turn off, but that's not really a good uh, continuous process. You want to, to have it ongoing, not on and off. So, so I think there will be uh, shortages uh, if we don't uh, solve this. And and there is a, again, not sure if you asked about that, but there is also in, in, in hybrid pro, pro, um, project, there is also a pilot plant or a small um, test pilot about uh, of, of, of construction of, of a rock cavern storage facility of, of fossil free hydrogen in Luleå up north. So they have uh, have been now uh, lining uh, in inside the, the one of the, I don't know if you can call it mountain, but anyway, you put it in, in the mountain uh, and, and you cover it with, with steel lining and, and they will start to store hydrogen there. And this is first time I think we are doing it at least in steel industry. So it's it's new things. Store gas you have done, but store hydrogen is different. And and, and the idea is of course that we can use those storages to to do hydrogen when it's windy <laughs> and then put it in the storage. Uh, but this is again Will it succeed? Will it be good? Uh, will it work perfect? How do you store? Is it difficult? Not how can you use it? How do you put it in, in the in the plant where you want to use it from the storage? These are the que- research questions and, and, and the testing the pilot plant at the moment. And it will be up and running, I think, this summer. So we will have results quite soon. But if that's enough, I don't know. We need, again, <laughs> many more windmills. Uh, and again, the, those windmills need permits. And again, we are a bit worried or very mm. worried about this. So, mm. so I don't know. It's diffi- it's difficult. Yeah. So, so is the permitting? Do you think that's the biggest challenge facing the development of renewables at scale in Sweden? Yeah, it's definitely a big part. Everyone is saying wind wind power. Okay, mm. that's that's great. Yeah, but no one. I don't know in England how you have it there, but here people don't want to have windmills outside the, the houses. So it's difficult to to get a permit, and there is always someone saying no and if you're in court you're right to to be able to speak and i'm not saying it it's wrong because it i mean you want to you you want to say something about your neighbor of course a neighborhood where you live but it it will be complex and i think maybe we have to rethink it not only in sweden but in in europe maybe you need to to make the people that is living close to a windmill to get some 
part of it, some, some gains from it, not only <laughs> the view of maybe not everyone likes windmills. The good part with windmills, just to put an extra addition on this different type of steel grades, all windmills, the big, big one, the big ring in the windmills, they are coming from a Swedish steel company. They are four meters in diameter and they are done perfectly in, in, in one of our companies. So it's good with the increased demand of windmills, <laughs> but that's another part of it. But I think, yes, permit is a big issue for us here. What is the future of steel? You see a continued need for steel and a necessity that we make it fossil free, I guess. Yes, no, you're right. As long as we don't have another more excellent material that can be recycled again and again, and we need we need steel, then we should do it as good as we can. So for me, steel is today, steel is the future. And, and we have at least a vision to 2050, but I guess we will we will take uh, it to, to 2100 as well when we have reached our goals to 2050. So I, I do believe in steel, right? Excellent. So, well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Eva, thanks very much for joining us. It's very interesting to hear all about the developments in fossil-free steel. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I didn't say that from the beginning. I'm very rude. Sorry for that. But I say thank you now in the end. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Bettina, for joining us. Thank you. I really enjoyed listening to Eva. Thank you, Eva, for joining. Brilliant. And John, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Eva. That was uh, fascinating. And uh, with that, I will say thank you for listening and I hope you will subscribe to the podcast. Very interesting subject coming up and I hope to talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 